Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's MoneyWeb's weekly podcast of interviews with leading investment professionals. And my guest uh, this week is Fatima Vavda. She's the MD of 27.4 Investment Managers. Fatima, welcome to the show. We've had a very exciting 12 hours uh, behind us. Uh, the rand has fallen to a new record low of over 15 rand 30. Um, what do you make of this uh, whole firing of Nenny and the reaction by the markets? Thank you, Rake. Um, the last 12 months have indeed been quite challenging as investment professionals. Uh, I think the one challenge that we have now is that we clearly on a trajectory of getting our junk status by the global ratings agencies. And what really concerns me is the potential of massive capital outflows as a result of a down rating in our status. Uh, a lot of international bond investors tend to use indices where we form a part of those indices. And the fact that we could potentially be removed from those indices means that uh, the potential for capital outflows exist and that puts further pressure on the RAND. But most importantly, I think as international investors and local investors is the concern to the vulnerability when it comes to policy decision making and people like certainty. So where there's a level of uncertainty in relation to the political and economic sphere, that creates a lot of volatility. And of course, uh, we're seeing that impact come through on the weaker rand and the effect that it's going to have, particularly on our bond markets. And we're already seeing the impact on the JSE this morning with the resultant downturn in our banking stocks. You know, there are many investors in South Africa, long-term investors. Uh, you know, the news and the reaction by the markets have really you know, uh, caused a lot of concern. What should investors do within, you know, these, um, this environment? I think there's always going to be exogenous risks. I mean, we've seen that consistently, you know, two weeks ago in the global markets, we had the terrorism attacks in Paris. Uh, investors need to move away from a short-term monistic uh, thought process and focus on the long term. So in the long term, you would find that a lot of these exogenous risks can be smoothed out. And yes, potentially over the short term, we will experience a lot of volatility, but you have to follow a mindset of a longer-term investment approach if you are an investor. You know, that is typical advice of, of many fund managers. You know, it's very volatile, but sit on your hands. Um, but we've seen the RAND depreciate from around uh, 11.60, I think, at the beginning of the year to now over 15.30. Uh, that's a massive, uh, you know, structural change in the investment, um, you know, horizon and, and, and in the investment trend. Um, when do you take action? I think from our perspective, it all comes down to investment process. And we believe that big drawdowns are unacceptable when you're managing third-party assets. Say, for example, an asset manager is down 50% in, investment, in his investment portfolio because he's had large exposure and taken a big bet in, for example, commodities. To make back, to come back to zero, to a neutral position, that investment needs to rise by 100%. So it's very important that an investment process takes into consideration the probability of capital loss. And during the portfolio construction phase, the risk profile and taking into consideration these type of exogenous factors is held into account in the portfolio construction exercise. So capital protection, prevention of, of, of 
aggressive uh, drawdowns in the portfolio and participating on the upside is what really is what we do as fund managers um, and our process follows that. But how do you protect capital against a, a very volatile RAND that will, it seems to only go in one direction currently. Uh, is the only way foreign exposure or can you do something internally or domestically as well? So the, 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 the nice thing about managing multi-asset class portfolios is the level of diversification that you can uh, include. Uh, and that means you've got a diversified source of returns uh, across geographies and across asset classes. And within asset classes, you also have the opportunity to diversify uh, against things like style. So for example, in an equity building block, you have the opportunity to diversify between managers that follow a, a, a value process or a growth process. And it's that uh, process of mixing and matching that allows you to uh, create a portfolio that can provide you with downside protection. So, for example, at a time uh, when you believe that um, South Africa is going through a very difficult time and there could be significant capital outflows out of your bond market, you in the construction of your multi-asset class portfolio, you would obviously be significantly out underweight the bond market and perhaps be overweight the short dated end of the yield curve. So that's one way to approach it. Another way to approach it would be, you know, you can max out your offshore exposure and there are prescriptive limitations in terms of how much we can have offshore because of exchange control requirements. But currently you'll find that any multi-asset class portfolio manager right now is maxed out to their offshore exposure. Locally, are, are you maxed out? We are fully maxed out in our offshore exposure. And also within the equity markets, we have to be cognizant of the fact that majority of our uh, companies on the JSE are generating quite a significant portion of their earnings outside of South Africa. So today, for example, those RAND hedge stocks are actually benefiting very nicely from the weakness in the RAND. We're seeing the South African Inc. shares that are hurting. We're seeing the banking shares that are hurting because of policy uncertainty. But you can find value and you can structure your portfolio in such a way that the impact of these type of situations do not lead to massive drawdowns in your portfolio. Well, if you look at volatility like we are seeing now, as you've um, said, it's external factors, really unpredictable. Um, surely active managers should smile and, you know, adopt strategies that could uh, beat the, the passive uh, funds. Uh, do you think we could see some changes in the strategies of some of those active managers? You know, it's quite interesting that you say that if you look at the general equity unit trust category at the moment, there's a 60% differential between the best performing asset manager and the worst performing asset manager. So, and, and that's largely as a result of the discrepancy in the valuation gaps that exists between the very cheap shares and the very expensive shares. Just explain that 60% gap. A bit so the, 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 the currently the top performing general equity fund manager is up about 25% for the year and the worst performing general equity asset manager is down in excess of 25% this year. So that gap alone speaks to the valuation discrepancies that exist. And that exists largely as a result of very pure uh, uh, deep value asset managers who are investing in counters that are trading below their intrinsic value, historically intrinsic value, um, and believe that they're cheap for a reason and for good reason, and therefore their portfolios are holding quite significant number of those type Typically of stocks. Typically commodity counters. 
typically commodity counters. Uh, but the problem with that situation is that when you are down, as in the example I gave you earlier on, if you are not pragmatic in your approach and take into consideration things like the the normalization of U.S. interest rate policy, the commodity route and the supply issues that exist within commodities, whether it's oil, whether it's platinum, and not adopt a pragmatic approach and just go entirely for low valuations, you're going to land up in a situation where you are down 25 to 30 percent for the year, and then you're going to need to make back much more to get back to a neutral position. And the benefit of ensuring that you've got a style diversified equity building block is very important. So from an investor's perspective, if you want to invest in equities because you believe that equities is where value lies on a relative basis to other asset classes, I believe that it's very important for investors to ensure that they invest in at least three equity fund managers with style differentiation, which gives them a blend, which protects them during periods where one style is not favored, given the cyclicality of the financial markets. Will you tweak your investment strategy in this environment? Well, we have been, uh, you know, we are long term investors and within our our equity building block, we like value, but we cautious about value. We recognize the valuation discrepancies, but at the same time, we're pragmatic in our approach in the sense that we believe that these exogenous factors can impact uh, uh, those uh, accounters down even further. So we have got a style blend in our equity building block. We have got a value manager. We have got a a fundamental uh, bottom-up manager that is a lot more pragmatic in their approach. Um, And we do have a a manager that has a bit of a a growth process in in, in the portfolio as well. Uh, Fatima, your uh, multi-asset funds have really done well over the last few years. You've won many awards, including several Raging Bull awards. Um, Does that not create a bit of pressure to try and maintain that performance? Um, Because obviously a lot of people will will invest in the funds based on the past performance and and, and if you do not maintain that performance it you know could uh, you know go the the other way absolutely right we are in the business of managing money we are being paid to manage money and so as an investment team we are constantly managing the risks and the performance of the investment portfolio and whilst we have our long-term strategic asset allocation outlook for the investment objective that the investor expects we do take tactical short-term underweights and overweights within the respective asset classes to ensure that we are opportunistic if opportunities do arise, but at the same time, we could be underweight in asset class if we do foresee potential risks in that asset class. And it's the tactical strategy that we apply that allows us to navigate short-term risks and volatility. But you don't invest directly in shares. You actually invest in, in other funds um, who which you choose carefully. How, how do you select those funds? So we, uh, as a multi-manager, we believe that um, asset allocation is the primary driver of investment performance and we are responsible for determining the asset allocation of our balanced multi-asset class portfolios. Once we've determined that asset allocation, we pick the specialist asset managers within the respective asset classes to manage the assets within those asset classes. So we spend an enormous amount of time due diligencing Uh, single strategy fund managers locally and internationally and we identify the managers that we believe
believe are true to the investment process, but also have the ability to generate alpha, which is excess return in addition to where the market can deliver. So what is their competitive edge? What really drives the investment performance? Does their story speak to the numbers? And it's that thorough process of manager due diligence and identifying the specialist characteristics and differentiating modes of that individual asset manager is what allows us to pick asset managers. But all the time we are cognizant of risk and we need to ensure that if we pick three asset managers within an equity building block, we are not overly exposed from an underlying holding return to any specific sector or any specific stock. And so that's blending process and how we weight the respective managers is very important from a risk and return perspective. But is it, is it only based on performance or do you look at other factors as well? So we, we, we look at both qualitative and quantitative. The nice thing about performance, it's objective and, and the quantitative process that applies there is a risk process. But the qualitative process is Uh, looking at the quality of the investment team, looking at uh, the fact that the investment team has had no staff turnover, looking at uh, the administration backup of the business, looking at the sustainability of the business. So it's a combination of both qualitative and quantitative factors that allows us to pick managers within the respective asset classes. You also manage several Sharia funds um, uh, and they have also performed well. Uh, The industry is not that big at the moment, but it is growing. Uh, Do you have any, what what is the main trend currently uh, performance-wise between the Sharia funds and the other funds in your portfolio? You know, um, Rake, we looked at the Islamic finance space a few years ago and we realized that consumers are really uh, uh, not... uh, uh, a suitable product that takes into consideration global innovation in Islamic finance is not being made available to South African consumers. So we conducted a lot of research in the developments and the innovation in global Islamic finance, uh, both in the Middle East and in Southeast Asia. And a lot of those developments were not uh, uh, available to South African consumers. And we have brought in and adopted a new level of innovation within our Sharia compliant funds, where we were the first in South Africa to to incorporate global sukuk, for example, which are Islamic bonds in the portfolio. We were the first in South Africa to include include Middle Eastern equities into our portfolios. We were the first to include uh, African-listed equities. For a long time, uh, consumers have been told that uh, performance of Sharia-related assets may be compromised because of the limited universe. But this is not true because there are multiple sources of return, both locally and internationally, that do exist that prevents you from having constant concentration risk as has been the myth for many years how big is the sharia um, fund management industry i would i would say that the sharia fund management industry is probably sitting close to about eight to nine billion rands in south africa uh, currently amongst the five service providers because that's the way we can calculate it they are five to six service providers that provide uh, Sharia-compliant investment portfolios to the South African consumer. Um, And if we tally up all of those assets, you're probably sitting in that region. How limited are you in investing in in, in shares? There are close to 400 listed shares on the JSE. How many are you invested in or can you invest in? So our due diligence process um, has a universe of close to 150 shares out of the 400 listed shares. And out of 150 shares, uh, you know, there is sufficient uh, uh, variation across sectors and across size. So, you know, market capitalization across the board. So 
our portfolio manager is holding uh, around uh, 45 to 50 shares in the portfolio out of the 150 shares. In your active fund, uh, your, your biggest um, shareholding is in Inspire Healthcare. That's a, a UK-listed company, uh, as well as Mondi. How much of the, you know, is the Mondi shares held in, in, in London or in Joburg? It's held in Johannesburg. So this is a, 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 a JSE-listed uh, equity fund. It's a unit trust. So um, according to ASISA, 80% of the portfolio has got to be invested in South African equities. Um, you know, the the... the, the the fact that we have not taken a resources bias in the Sharia Active Equity Fund has really worked phenomenally well for us. I mean, this Sharia uh, Equity Portfolio has actually outperformed a lot of the conventional equity portfolios within the general equity category. So, one, it's outperformed the Sharia peers, but it's also outperformed the non-Sharia peers. And that's been exceptional and largely as a result of the bottom-up process followed by the portfolio manager, but also as a result of not taking a commodity bias that a lot of our peers have taken in that space. Mm. The uh, big investment Inspire Healthcare Group, that's the group uh, MediClinic is merging with. Uh, so, yes, that is the group that MediClinic is uh, is merging with. Healthcare has always been, uh, 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 you know, we've seen healthcare counters do phenomenally well in South Africa. And a lot of these healthcare counters are generating a lot of their earnings outside of South Africa. So that's benefited them also from the weaker rand and it is a defensive counter so when you've got periods of excessive volatility and when you have surprises like this coming through you are going to see fund managers rotate into defensive counters just lastly uh, 27.4 is a signatory of the united nations principles for responsible investment what does that mean quite important you know we've recently seen the vw emission scandal and we've seen challenges of corporate governance at mtn and what uh, the principles of responsible investment really mean is that as an investor and an allocator of assets on behalf of asset owners we need to be cognizant of uh, uh, companies and their policies so if a company has bad labor relations policies or are treating female uh, employees bad or are polluting the environment we need to punish those companies that have bad corporate governance uh, policies because in the long term the market will always favor those companies and securities that have good policies in place. So that's really subscribing to an element of saying that we want companies to move towards uh, a meeting good uh, social and governance and environmental principles. Thank you, Fatima. That was Fatima Vavda. She's the MD of 274 Investment Managers.